With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, folks. It's David here. And yet again, you guys have taken so well to the ball shaving advert that they've come back for another one. Um. Thanks for that, because as you all know, I, I love doing these for people like you who shave your balls, even though it's winter and it's cold, and quite frankly, I don't understand why anyone wouldn't want to be walking about with a carpet down there, but a lot of you seem not to, okay? And yeah, ball shaving company are back. Um, who'd have known that in the Heart and Hand universe, there were so many of you who love getting your nuts debushed but every time we do one of these people respond and i suppose with christmas coming up you know you need a you need a a gift for someone why not say to someone i've always felt your balls were too hairy and hand them over one of these things to be fair if you are into ball shaving and i am stunned each month by the amount of you who are then yes i'm i'm, I'm not gonna lie then the amount of of ball shaving that goes on in our community is huge. But if you're going to do it, do it with Manscaped. Um, the Manscaped Perfect Package 4.0. Perfect Package is the best in the business. Um, it's a hygiene bundle and it includes a lawnmower 4.0, weed whacker, boxers, travel kit, and liquid formulation. See, to be honest, I haven't used the lawnmower because, you know, I believe in the sanctity of the pubic area. But I have used the weed whacker for my nose and ears and it's ace, right? This is a good package. Um... You might not use all of it. I wouldn't, but you would, clearly. So if you want to save some money, go to manscaped.com and use the code RANGERS. Uh, you get 20% off and free shipping with the code RANGERS at manscaped.com. So during the winter, you might be spending a wee bit more in time inside with your balls, and you might as well make them beautiful. So you know what to do, manscaped.com, RANGERS. Everyone and welcome 
welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast, the podcast that has been enjoying as Rangers have gone gold crazy domestically over the last week. My name's David Edgar, I'm your host, as I am every week, but I'm delighted this week for a, a kind of special edition, I think it's fair to say, of, uh, well, not special because he's on it, but special because what he's on to talk about, um, when Rangers release their accounts, there's a lot of misinformation, and there's only one man to turn to when that happens, and that is, of course, Big Suave himself, Mr Andy McGowan, the Sage of Salkits. How are we, my friend? I'm very good, David. I don't know if the Sage of Salkits is much a kind of compliment, but I'll well, take it. No, you know, the three tunes, uh, quite a few mastermind winners, I'm sure, have, have come from <laughs> So down there. So currently is a sinkhole. Have you seen this? It literally yeah, does have a sinkhole. Aye, well, I do because this is going to be too much of my personal information. I bought a flat uh, completed on the 15th of September on that street. And then <laughs> two, two days later, three days later, I get a text with somebody with a link saying three houses drop into sinkhole and shuffle. <laughs> I'm like, no. But it, it was two doors down for the one I bought, but luckily I'm not affected by it. But buyer beware, as they say. Cammy, emptor, but uh, but there was no such sinking feeling at Ibrox yesterday. See what I did there. Uh, oh, Thank you. I've been doing this for a few years now. Um, as Rangers took on Ross County at Ibrox. Um, Andy, it actually did feel yesterday like... The opening conceding goal has now almost pa- we've passed through anger, I think, because I would expect Ibrox to be, you know, as it was against Aberdeen. But it was almost like, well, of course we conceded the opening goal from their first attack after a mistake in midfield, because that's what we do. The players seem to just shrug it off and go, mm, fair enough. But my goodness, I-, I honestly can't remember a run like this because it's it's every game. <laughs> And it's, it's certainly every domestic game, and it's the same pattern. It's Rangers start off normally, you know, fine, get the ball down, try to play a bit of football, and then there'll be a mistake, either midfield or defence, and from the first attack, the opposition will score within the opening 10, 15 minutes. And Rangers thankfully come back and get the win, usually, although there'll be a couple of draws in there. But it, it's bizarre. I honestly can't. It's 14 times a season Rangers have gone behind in a match, and that's 16 points from losing positions. Now, credit to them for having that fighting spirit. That's great. But good God, lads, you, you know, yes, you won the league by 25 points, and it's jolly sporting of you to give everybody a gold start and see if you can overcome it, but gone no day that. It's like when your wife or your child or something does something that really annoys you and you shout at them the first time, you shout at them the second time, you shout at them the third time, and by the fourth or fifth time they do it, you just actually, you don't see anything, you just seethe and you get your teeth and you fold your arms. And I felt like yesterday I broke. But what I will say is that I really enjoyed that game yesterday. And I think, in a perverse way, that goal added something to it. Um, not that I'm condoning that we, 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 we lose a goal first every game. But, I mean, the first five minutes, David, I don't know about you, but I, I thought we started well. We looked very sharp, and then we have this bloody goal, and then we just kind of picked it up and kept going. And, you know, I didn't really think we were going to lose the game or draw. I didn't, I didn't see horror story written on, on that game yesterday after the Ross County scored. There was just too much going on in the first five, ten minutes to suggest that we were going to be labouring that day. Um, but you said it. Credit to Rangers. I mean, to go behind so many times and come back 
it tells you something. It tells you we're losing too many goals early, right? But also it tells you something about our game and our resilience and the mindset. And, you know, when all said and done, we've scored one less goal than than Celtic, who are supposedly, you know, Renus Michaels Holland nineteen seventy four again, attacking wise. So <laughs> we we're doing something right. Um but we need to cut them out. And there's a couple of wee themes that we'll probably touch upon that I've noticed that, you know, Lundstrom, for one, he's been involved in a couple of these goals. Um, I don't know what, I cannot put my finger on it because if you look so, at a goal in isolation. So starter? Well, I don't know, because we, start, we, we started a recent man. We no, started but, a right yesterday. No, I, I think. Lund, I Lundstrom, you mean? Lundstrom. But some players do. I remember the great Walter Smith saying Stuart McCall was a wonderful player, but no use as a sub because he took 15 minutes to warm up. Well, it could be. I mean, it might just be we're not intimate enough with John Lundstrom to understand that that's the way he plays. But he needs to, he needs to sharpen it up because he, he lost the ball sloppily uh, against St Mirren. You know, wasn't he aggressive enough when back in the middle of the park? Goal. It, the same thing happened yesterday. I was not so bad. I was not so annoyed at him no controlling Hadji's pass. I was I was annoyed at him in the way he's kind of lackadaisical efforts to to retrieve it. He was covering ground as opposed to you know. Uh, contacting the man. I don't want to isolate him. Uh, it was one of the things, but the response was really good, David. It really was. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. And I think that I don't want to pick on John Lundstrom, but he has been involved in a couple of them. I think the defending was really poor. Um, again, you know, we all go back to our days at school, and it is true, and you expect a. It, it was surprised me to see things like this. If someone in midfield has time to play a, pay, uh, to play a pass, don't play offside because, you know, the, the, the chances are. They'll pick the right pass, which is exactly what Ross County did. Uh, the 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 boy Humbo is a very talented player. Actually, I, he, I don't know if you saw the free kick he scored a couple of weeks ago. It was mm-hmm. unbelievable, and uh, he took his chance. I thought pretty well. I just thought everybody involved from a Rangers point of view there was initially. I thought Hadji's pass. I still don't think it was great, um, but then it, it it kicks off as has been the case with goals we've conceded this season. It's it's very rarely one individual mistake. It generally one kicks off a chain that ends up with the ball in our net, which is what happened yesterday. A kind of loose pass, poor control, midfield isn't set in the right place, defence isn't set in the right place, Goldson's playing the boy on, Balligan doesn't cover himself in glory. It was just a terrible goal to concede. Um, and, and you know, coming into the ground, meeting up with, with people outside, and they're all saying, let's just concede the first goal dead early and get it out the road. You know, <laughs> that gallows humour. And, and it kind of felt like that. But you're absolutely correct, because at no point did I feel like we were going to lose this match yesterday because Rangers stepped up. And, you know, the, there's always the there's always a special atmosphere, I think, um, on the, the, the Armed Forces Day at Ibrox. Alan Force's days and I think the commemoration day, you know, it, it matters to us as a support. And I think that again it was beautifully done. There was a beautiful tribute beforehand. Um and I think that the, because of that the fans were we'll stick with them. You know, the, the there wasn't that anger that you might have uh, seen it in certain other matches. But maybe that was it, I don't know. Or maybe it was just as you say, it's Ross County and we are, with all due respect, confident to get the victory. But then we were treated to, as you say, I thought from an, an attacking point of view, a really terrific, exciting performance. Now, we're going to talk separately about Ryan Kemp, but the manager... I, look, you didn't have to exactly be a, a master of, of psychology to work out that he was raging with the performance of the front players uh, against Bronby. And he then went into the uh, went into the squad. Lucky, of course, having Kent to come back in. So that takes care of itself. 
I did think we might see what we got, which was an hour and, you know, whip him off and protect him. But in that hour, that was your Ryan Kent. But Hadji came in as well. And I thought that we had the right back. I was a little surprised to see Sakala start through the middle ahead of, I thought he might drop Alfie, but I, I thought Ruth would play. But he, he mentioned this afterwards. We asked him about this afterwards and he said that he, he told Sakala to stay up because he felt Alfie had been dropping too deep lately. And what we had there, and I think it worked out a bit better for Hadji, who I know, you know you, you've um, had, had concerns about, you, we have to accept the lack of pace because it's yes. not going to change, right? It's just not there. But having two flying machines, I thought, mm-hmm. really helped. And this idea that I'm guilty of sometimes of saying, oh, pace is no use for us in Scotland because teams just sit in. It doesn't work like that. If you play the right ball, pace is... Mm-hmm. There's always got to be space. It's about how you use it. If you're just running into dead air, you know, Michael Halloran style, then yes, pace <laughs> is useless. But if you are clever, and I thought that Kent and Sakala yesterday were very, very clever in their movement. They stretched Ross County. They took defenders places they didn't want to go. And I don't think it's coincidence that Aribo, Bakuna in particular, but also Hadji in the second half, all played pretty well because the front guys enabled them to. Yeah, I think first of all, let's talk about the, the this team selection. I thought the fact that Bakuna and Aribo in the midfield was fairly notable. I know it's only Ross County, so you kind of very well see it's brave to have two such attack-minded players in the middle three. So, um, but I I do like Sakala through the middle because I think he's better. He's back to goal than maybe we give him credit for, and that gives him adaptability. He can do a bit of what Alfie does, which is. You can hold it up, you know, not as good as Alfie, no way, but he can hold it up and link. But also, he's got that ability that if he does get a turn or a roll on a, on a player, he can get away from them. And he can also go to wide areas. So he's seen him move out wide um, when the substitutions came late in the game. So I think Sakala is slowly but surely starting to um, find his feet in the team and his roles. Roles, I say roles plural in the team because he'll be used in various places. And you mentioned Hadji. I have been critical of Hadji. So one week I think he's terrible. One week I say, right, this boy's really got something. And I've I've said many a time in the last few weeks that I don't think he's a starter. And I thought Brownby he came on and changed the game for us um, as a sub. But maybe I'm, there's no maybe about it. I, I'm probably completely wrong. And it's about the balance. Maybe Hadji and Morelos as a front of two thirds of the front three just mean there's not enough pace there. And it's actually getting that balance against Hadji's craft and guile. Um, because I thought I thought Hadji and Bakuna were on the same wavelength yesterday. I think some of their wee one-twos between the two in particular were, were exquisite. And I thought Hadji had a really good game. Um, so, I, I I mean, Kent's a different. Kent transforms everything. Yeah, let's, let's take a moment here to, <laughs> you know, because that goal. Now, at the time, I thought, what a goal that is. And then seeing it back, I was like, it's even better. Than I thought it was. It yep. had the lot that one. Um, you know, would, would you like some crisps with your dip? It was fabulous. <laughs> and the thing is about him is, it, these things aren't one-offs. You know, he does, and I also think he's got something that you have to earn over a period. And he's been with us a few years now, and he's got it. And that is, other teams are terrified of him mm-hmm. when he gets the ball, and he also brings that that buzz to the stadium. But more importantly, I think. His teammates all go, I think they go up a level because I think they, A, that thing, that natural thing that football's off of, I want him to think I'm a good player. And two, I think that 
you know, he he'll dig as it he'll he'll do something. And and it just gives you an extra level of confidence. I it was almost a cameo yesterday because, you know, he he was only on for an hour and I think, you know, the, the way the game was it was one towards the end, so the intensity dropped off. But in that first half you were like, Oh my god, I, that is exactly what we'd be missing. Yeah. Great Rangers players have expectation and they deal with it. And Brian Kent is now becoming one of those players. You think, well, I don't know why I say Loudrop and Gascoigne, but it was the same kind of dynamic. You know, you look to them to make the difference. And uh, some players can crumble with that. Um, some just consistently deliver. And he's starting to get to the, 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 start, the stages Rangers career where more often than not he delivers. And, and I mean, we think back to his last game, was his last game against Celtic? I can't remember, but he played against I Celtic. Think so. Yeah, I think it was. He, we learned afterwards he was nowhere near fit, um, but he played and he, he contributed to the game because Celtic were feared for him for, for the whole time he was on the pitch. And even with one leg, he was good enough to contribute and, and deliver. But that goal yesterday, I mean, that, that's where you pay money to go to see for before. You know, people that can go past players. Extreme skill, trickery, uh, the, the buzzer in the stadium when he gets the ball, and then shots like that. That's that's the stuff that makes school kids want to play football. And and we're really really lucky to have him. And, and I mean, we'll talk later on about accounts and selling players and all this kind of stuff. This is all part of the plan. I think we we forget when Kent came, he was just a Liverpool youngster with, with high hopes. And we kind of learned that he was a good, hard-working guy, but a talent. There were still doubts about him in his first six months, seven months, and then slowly but surely we said, this, this boy's got something, and he's matured. And then last year was when he came to, he graduated as a Rangers player because he was a, a major, major player and, and a fantastic season for us. And this year he looks like a senior player to me. I mean, he came on yesterday, back for injury, you're expecting nurses selling, dynamite for the, minute, the first minute. To, to, to when he gets substituted that's a Rangers player and uh, I really really hope that it looks safe to the sell during the international break just keeps working on his, his conditioning and, and come that semi-final he just picks off with the left picks up with the left off yesterday I think that he had that that freshness look about him that suggested yeah. here's a guy who hasn't been fit who did put his body on the line and, and suffered for it when we needed him and by God we did need him having him his presence against Celtic alone it gave everybody a big boost when we really needed it and it puts fear in their mind because they they, they fear him so yeah I, I, I think that yesterday there was a freedom about him that looked like yes I can do the things that I know I can do my body will, mm-hmm. will respond when I tell it to so uh, I, I loved watching him and you know as you say we once we got in front I think it was it was pretty set but we did go on and and rather than as we've I think that's the first time this season at Ibrox we have maybe Livingston in the cup and we've just gone on and put the game out of sight and go to four one up now we mentioned Janino Bakuna uh hasn't had an awful lot of game time and I think that that has maybe opened some doubts up in people's minds because you know the, the sense of well wait a minute why isn't he playing because it's not a team has been setting the heather on fire and he's not been playing. He's came on for some cameos and, and in all honesty, hasn't hasn't grabbed attention, let, let's be quite no. honest. But yesterday and I, I go back to you know Sakala's hat trick last week. I said that new signings need a game early on to just give you something to go, ah, right, that's why he's here. 
and it gives you something to hold on to. And I, I think yesterday was that game for him because he was excellent. He was buzzing about, and of course, a, a tremendous goal, which which certainly helps. But again, I think that he's going to be a player that, because he tries things, sometimes they won't come off, and sometimes people will grumble about it. But again, when he does try something that does come off, it looks as though it could be a difference maker. Yeah, and I mean, yesterday was a game where we were on the front foot for the vast majority, and I think that's the kind of game that will suit him because I'm no, I don't think he's Terry Hurlock defensively. But I think, was it James Forrest at the Huddersfield fanzine boy, a podcast boy, on when we signed him and, and we got his opinion on him? And he kind of said, look, on his day, he's a match winner. Other days, he doesn't look interested. And, and it's this uh, sugar or shite kind of scenario that was probably why he was playing at Huddersfield. He couldn't get a, a, a decent level of consistency in between the two. And I think we think to that Hearts game when we changed the, the substitutions happened against Hearts when we were one nothing up and we kind of gave up that left-hand side when he came on and played his, on the left of the front three. We kind of said it was the wrong substitution. He didn't look as if he was a, a kind of pressing attacker. Uh, so yesterday it was interesting for me to see him just that line deeper in midfield because I think we've seen from David as he's a good passer the ball. He looks like he can pass through lines. That seems also, to be that's the thing that I've taken as to what he can I, bring to the side is he's a guy who can thread a ball. He can thread a ball, that's the phrase I'm looking for. That's why you're the gaffer, David. So <laughs> he can thread a he can thread a ball, but also I think he can step beyond the man, which is kind of what a rebo gives when he plays in midfield. He can carry the ball from the middle to the, the, the final third. Um, and I think it can be it can become, based on what I've seen yesterday, and I know it's only Ross County, he could become a potential match winner for a, another potential match winner. And when you've got guys like on your team, then, you know, they've got more chance of digging games out when, when things aren't going quite to to, um, to plan. He, look, he looks as if he likes to shoot. I mean, his goal was a cracker. I liked it. We also nearly scored an exquisite curler. With, with fantastic right. technique and he went to the top corner and it would have been a, I mean it may have eclipsed uh, Kent's goal if it actually went in the back of the net the boys get undoubted talent and you've got to hope that that kind of laconic streak that goes through them which Arribo kind of had when he came if you think about it Arribo's transformed from that laconic big lanky boy that was a dribbler you know like Azaria was right mm. and loads of skill but no steel or not enough steel Aribo's turning into a bit of a machine now because I keep talking about if he can add the steel that Gerard had as a midfielder and that kind of, whatever it is, killer instinct, winning mentality, whatever it is, if he can do that to Aribo, if Bakuna can get some of that medicine as well, uh, not that he's ever going to be a powerhouse, but if he can add that kind of week after week after week, I need to be performing, then then he'll, he'll earn the contract at the end of the two years because the interesting thing about Bakuna is that Obviously, we, we know details of the deal with Huddersfield where it's basically they get nothing for him. And we've took him on a two-year deal. And then at the end of the two-year deal, basically, you know, Huddersfield may get something, we may get something, they might move on, whatever. So basically, both Rangers and Huddersfield have got a, a dual interest here in how Bakuna does. And to be honest to the boy, from what I've seen in his career, if he doesn't date here, then he's probably going to be going down a, a fairly dead-end career. Yeah, so there's a lot so. riding on this move for him and what he does at Rangers. Which which is a uh, good ingredient, so it's done to him now. He's in the best place. If he can't do it, then he's, he's not really got anybody else to blame. No, uh, I think that's all fair. And and 
you know, talent will only take you so far. And uh, and I think that anybody just needs to look at the Rangers team and see the likes of Ryan Kent. And I mean, Ryan Kent's got more natural talent, I'd say, than just about anybody in, in Scotland. But he works. Um, and yep. you look at the, you know, you look at the top teams down south, and I think we're seeing at the moment the difference between, say, a Manchester United and a, um, a Liverpool or a Chelsea. There's a huge difference. Being talented is not enough. You've got to be talented and prepared to put in the graft and the hard yards. It's just the way football has gone. Um, so yeah, I mean, at the moment, I would say you can say I, I certainly wouldn't be thinking of putting them into the side if we were at Easter Road or Tynecastle no. or Parkhead. Um, but there are games where it's a different challenge when you need to open a side up. And I think that, you know, having his ability to do that. We shout out for Ryan Jack, probably the biggest cheer of the day yesterday. Uh, the manager said afterwards it was probably a wee bit early for him, but the circumstances of the match, you know, 4-1 up, allowed us to to put him on. And it, it just gave everybody a boost, didn't it? I think psychologically, psychologically for Ryan Jack, it would be massive because... It gets him on the pitch before the international break, and much like I'm saying about Kent, he can then he's then got a week or two to to just tip top that that condition and and, and be super ready. I, I don't think we should expect miracles for Ryan Jack because he's a consistency player, David. He? When when he's hit his consistent forms, it's been runs and runs of games, and he's just been that number number eight literally, but also if you're saying an eight or a ten every week. Um, and I think he needs games to get to that level. I don't think he's a player that just comes in and immediately gets to that. Um, I'm interested to see how we use him because we spoke about Lundstrom earlier. I think him and Lundstrom could be a really safe pair of hands possession-wise as a midfield too. Um, gives us loads of options. It means that you can, you can rotate again and get the best out of Davis for a game, particular games. So fantastic to see him back. I didn't realise it was nine months. It feels less because we've had the close season and um you know everything just flew by because a lockdown in 55 and everything nine months a long time to lose out your game um at ryan jack's age so i hope everything's behind him and uh, it's a new signing for us it really is not as a cliche but it's a new signing midfield for us yeah well it absolutely is and um you know you just need to look at the difference he makes to rangers and scotland incidentally it's not just mm-hmm. rangers that when he's in the team, the amount of goals Rangers concede goes right down, mm-hmm. and it's no coincidence. And so, no. and uh, you know, in the past, some people have complained about, well, you know, attacking. We've got enough attackers. We've got plenty of attackers. We it's the back door that's the problem at the moment. But um, ten goals in two games, Andy. Now, I'm a great believer that when you're playing badly, you don't turn out. I think we all accept the defence has got a way to go, and it might even be a case that it's not going to change the personnel changes, i.e. Hellander gets back or we do something in January. But I think that in terms of the attacking, uh, we weren't creating chances and we were just about getting by. Then we started creating chances and not taking them and now we're doing both. And I'm a great believer that you, you can't just be off your form, not very good, and then flick of a switch and boom, you're flying again. I don't think it works like that. I think there are steps on the, the, the ladder, if you like, and you've you've got to touch every every rung before you get to where you want to go. It does seem certainly to be heading in that direction now. Yeah, but I I'll, I do agree with you that it's not just a flick of a switch, but I do think that when you get a bit of click and you get that confidence, it just kind of catalyzes everything, doesn't it? And I think we saw that um, at Motherwell. You know, that, that game just... 
the shackles came off and we believed in ourselves again. And uh, I mean, we have loads of attacking options, and if anything this season, we've not found the formula because of different reasons. Form, injury, uh, poor pre-seasons. We're talking about Kent, we're talking about Morales there, it's no hint form. Um, but we do have the options. This is the thing, it's not as if we've no had options, we've just not found the right formula. Because we played Motherwell and then we went to Bronby and I'm I'm sitting looking at the team sheet and I'm saying, you know, I'm I'm got I'm delighted with that front three and then they're they're absolutely stinking. So things like that, you can't legislate front it shouldn't have really happen. That Motherwell front three getting into Bronby should have done more. That that's a wee bit of concern. But it's less a concern because you you then know that you've got other players that you can come in. But I would like to see but a settled front three for a couple of games. And if and, and to be honest, I've said before, Morelis, without Morelis, we're a different team. But we, we should maybe find a way of playing without Morelis. Um, and and we've seen a, an example in, uh, yesterday with Sakala, and then you bring on Roof. And we just need to find a way that we're maybe not as reliant on, on Morelis because he's definitely lost a bit of spark. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not a subscriber to say he's playing terrible. I don't think he's as bad as we're making it, or some people are making it. I just feel that he's playing that wee bit deeper. He's been that wee bit more laboured. He's not getting some breaks, but he's definitely nowhere near the Morales that we know he can be. The way that's a hunger thing, you know, he's moved into a big house and he's settled and the wife's there and the wind's there. And, you know, that may just be a hunger thing. The big moves kind of not quite as uh, apparent as it might have been before for him. But whatever it is, we need to find a way where we find a front three that is relatively settled, and I think that's a a, a rhythm thing would get would would see our, our season kick in because we're talking about how we've been fit and start fit and start this season, and we're still top. Me and you, David, know, and I've seen Rangers teams that didn't really kick in until now, November, mm-hmm. December, and then they went on a run. I'm hoping that's what happens now. Um, but I think we need to get a wee bit more settled team. I think there's just a touch too many changes, especially for the front three. Yeah, I totally agree with you there, my friend. Just before we do go on to the accounts, let's chat a little bit about more speculation about Stephen Gerrard. The, the the Aston Villa job has come up, and I don't think Aston Villa are making any secret of the fact that he is somebody that they're interested in. Um, they have, according to... Serious reports thing on a short list of six, um, and he's one of them on it. So, you know, clearly there are other people involved in the frame in it. But, like, this is just going to happen. It's going to happen every Premier League job out with the top four. That's just a fact. Well, the good thing for Rangers is the, the, the longer he's quoted for, for, for jobs in England, it means we're doing all right and his stock's high. And I think it's totally justified. If anybody looking outside in, to Rangers and the job he's done um, knows he's done a great job you know you get the dates in the Scottish press saying oh he's won one trophy or whatever <laughs> what, a, what a myopic way of looking at things the job he's done is, is undoubted but it's more than that people can see the mentality and the the kind of that intangible stuff that not every manager can develop some managers can come in and just continue what's went before them but not many managers can create environment for scratch, he's done that. Well, him and his backroom team have. So I, I don't think there's any surprise that he's been quoted for this job and he'll continue to be. And one day he'll go. And it might not be the Liverpool job that we all think he's holding out for. I think the question for Gerard is there's two. 
is the Aston Villa job one where he's going to get the longevity to succeed? Um, another question is, can he keep his stock high for much longer at Rangers? Now, if he wins the league this year and gets into the Champions League, he might feel that that's, that's his job's done and he, and he goes in the summer. Or he might feel he wants to go into the Champions League. He, he, the only comparator we've really got is Brendan Rodgers because he went to Leicester and has done really well and his stock has got even higher. But by the same token, Gerard could go to Aston Villa and it could go disastrously wrong. And, you know, once you go wrong once down there, it's pretty hard to get back on that that, that saddle. Well, Lampard so, would be an example. Exactly. Exactly. There's a guy that, that done great with Derby, went to Chelsea, had a good start, and then where is he now? You know? So he's got to be very careful with his next move. And the Liverpool thing is a spec I say a spectre, but it's always a it's always a, going to be a consideration for him, isn't it? Oh, Does if he if he goes to Aston Villa, will he ever get to Liverpool? Very, very much harder to prove yourself at Aston Villa in that league than to continue to prove yourself at Rangers. I think that's a big question. Yeah, I, I don't really buy the... There's, there's two things that came up in what you said there. First of all, that we only won one trophy out of nine. That is such a stupid Bullshit. argument. Um, put forward generally by people who don't like us because, yeah, see if he'd come in and everything had been hunky-dory at Rangers or even normal at Rangers, then fine. But he had a massive task to, to do. And he could have won three cups by now and no title and we wouldn't be happy. Mm-hmm. He had to get exactly. So, you know, it, it's a nonsense. It's a silly argument put forward by people who just want to have a dig at us. Um, equally, the other side of that is, you know, what what does he have left to prove at Rangers? Well, a lot. He hasn't won any cups. There's one. You know, he needs to retain a title. Winning one is great, but the greats retain things. And as you mentioned, he hasn't taken us into the Champions League. So there are plenty to to achieve, but it's the problem we will always have in Scotland, that we are next door to the biggest league in the world, the most money, the most glamour, and it's where everybody wants to go, so, you know, you look at the Martin on our EPL show last week called it the Coaches League, and, and the top coaches in the world are coaching there, it, it, it's that simple, you just need to look at the the, the people who are there, so, yep, yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate, but as you say, it, you know, nobody, nobody was coming in for Pedro, so uh, I think that, as you say, it's a, a bit of a, a, a bittersweet thing, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Right, Andy, the accounts were released uh, on Friday. You had a couple of days to look over them. We put an article up on our Heart and Hand and Patreon if you want to go and read that. Hi, folks. I'll just take a wee minute out here to talk about NordVPN. Now, NordVPN are official club partner of Rangers, so you know that they're trustworthy. And trust is a big thing on the internet. I'm afraid that you can't trust people because there are lots of bad people out there who want to steal your data. And if you are using other Wi-Fi to your home network, if you are out and about and you use Wi-Fi or your 4G when you're outside 5G, whatever, then hackers are able to get to your information and it's such a pain if you've ever been hacked and you've had to change passwords or you've had to change bank cards, etc. It is so, so time consuming and you don't need to do it because all you need to do is sign up to NordVPN and know you're protected. And of course, if you're ever going on a short holiday then you know what I'm talking about. You know where you can go to get absolutely 
thousands of options of where your internet is. But security is the key thing, let's face it. And you can get 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift if you go to nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand and use the code heart and hand. You will get up to 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift. So just go to nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand, use the code heart and hand and be protected. Get up to 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift. But headline figure, losses of £23.5 million. I'm basically just going to turn it over to you now because you know a lot about it and I don't. <laughs> so but I, I have no idea why I'm in this position whenever it now turns to me to, to explain the results of accounts. Because, right? because, because <laughs> accounts are really fucking boring, right? <laughs> and we only, you know, with all due respect, people like you get your know, blood pumping in a certain area of your body about them. So if we can get somebody that knows what they're talking about that we trust then yeah, I would rather that you did it. It's, Andy, it's like a business. You've got to have people who have certain skills to do things. Like, you know how heart and hand runs, right? I'm the talent. The rest of you are, <laughs> are, are, are the are the brickies. You're the builders, right? So this is, go, go and build as a financial wall. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to comment on that disparaging <laughs> comment to your, your colleagues. You'll get a brick who they heed off one of the brickies one day for saying that. So, uh, so for, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll position it first, right? I think people knew when or, or hope that I come on here, get a guitar out and start singing Three Little Birds by Bob Marley and everything's going to be okay, right? When I look at this, I look at it from the point of view that I'm actually trying to find things that worry me. I'm trying to find things to say, right, am I being vigilant enough? I, I look at it as if, right, if this was Celtic, what would I be saying with a critical eye? Because it is very, very easy to be... Um, too close to Rangers and give the benefit of doubt, especially when, as I am, you're very sympathetic and grateful to the board and investors because, you know, we've had 55 greatest year of our football lives or most days, and there's an emotional link towards the people that made that responsible. So I try to, I try to wash that away, right? And the £23.5 million loss... That is quite a big uh, number to polish because um, it's massive, right? There's no getting away from it. And on the face of it, anybody looking at that from the outside in would probably say, you know, how, how can you even put a positive spin on that? But like everything else, Rangers is a very, very unique uh, financial situation. There's not many clubs been in the the situation that we've had since 2011, 2012, and and before that, to be honest. So we've we've got to take a massive dose of context for all sorts of things in here, and the only way you can really do that is by digging a wee bit deeper into it, which Born Bastard Andy does. Um, so I'm not going to bore everybody with facts and figures, but I'll, I'll give you some headline figures. But what I will try to do, David, is I'll try and get underneath and say, right, this is what I think, right now. I'm, I'm basing it on my opinion, but I'm also basing it on, you know, I've taken counsel for people that are uh, more intelligent in this regard than me. So I'm, I'm basing it on something that's uh, pretty sound in my opinion, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this is a COVID set of accounts, 
Now, anybody that has been familiar with football clubs' COVID accounts will know that they are cataclysmic. They are really, really bad. And I'm talking about the biggest clubs in Europe. Now, we were never, ever going to be immune to it. But um, I think, personally, the first thing I'd say about these accounts is I think that coming out of it, I think we'll, we'll be looking very, very good, right? So if what I'm saying to you is this time next year, next accounts, given the context that we had a, a year without fans through the gates, I think we'll, have, we'll recover very, very quickly from it. And there won't be a massive hangover from it, right? which, which, is a, which is a thing in itself. Because I think when you look around Europe, a lot of clubs are going to have a lot of hangover from, from COVID impact for many, many years. Hence why you've got European Super League, stuff like that. That's how big it is. So, headline, we, we went from a revenue of 59 million last year, which I thought was getting back to normal down to 47.7, so that's down 11 million, that's a lot. Why did that happen with no fans through the doors? And that's that's the stadium generated income is down almost 20 million, 19 million to be precise, okay? So 90 million down and through the gates. However, you've had a, an uptick across sponsorship, broadcasting, commercial and prize money of 7.6, which goes some way to uh, offset it. So in amongst this books, there is some major, major, points to note that are actually significant successes. Now, I'll explain them later. We've spent less this year, or this set of accounts, than we did before, but just, right, it's doing for about 77 million in cost to about 74 and a half, so down marginally 2.5 million. The first team costs are up by almost 4 million. <clears throat> so the first team bill for wages is 33 and a half. And then we've got other costs, other staff. So that's all the rest, Ibrox, Rangers, Tick Office, Commercial, everybody that works for Rangers. Those costs went up about 550k. So we have quite a high wage bill overall now. Very high, in fact, too high. So even against the normal revenue, it's too high. And I think we'll see um I think we'll see the first team wage bill get down, to be brutally honest. Um Is that because I, we're in a cycle where Guys arrive on a certain level of contract, do well. I'm thinking of Golds and Kamara, etc. There's mm-hmm. there's Tav, Morelos, you know, there's quite a few of Kent have all had contract improvements. Is that reflected in this? I think there's that, and I think there's been the emotional um the, the emotional fog of ten in a row, fifty stroke fifty-five, which I think has skewed normal decisions that would be made. And I'll come on to why that, I know that to be the case. So I think the board have done us a big, big favour um, in terms of keeping players or not selling players and giving rewards to players in terms of wages that maybe under normal circumstances wouldn't have happened. And we've now got a, a slightly inflated wage bill. That, that To have a £33.5 million wage bill for a team that is effectively positioned um, for Europa League money is too high. I think the high 20s is where we'll be. And that would be roughly where we would have been pre-2012 when you account for inflation and, and football inflation, if you like. So I think the, the wage bill will drop. And, and that may happen naturally because you spoke about Golds in there. So he'll drop off. Uh, who else? Mate? Davis, McGregor, they'll be big earners. Um, and, and what you'll see is the, the replacement of those either from within or in good Bosmans or promotion of youth, that kind of thing. And that and that is what we've how long have we been talking about that for, Davey, about mm-hmm. good good footballing stroke fiscal 
interaction. That's what it's all about. You sell or you, you lose players and you don't break the bank to replace them. So so that's where we're at. Um, the, the, the accounts are awash with investment. Now, this is a key thing because people say, right, why are they continued losses? Why are we losing so much money? The reason, in a, in a sentence, is because we're investing it, right? And mm-hmm. I've said this maybe for, this will be the third year in a row that I've kind of alluded to this, that we have been in a position where um, we've had to accelerate growth, right? The board have come in since 2016. So since Dave King and everybody else came in, they've recognised, right, we are so far behind things. We really need to pile money into this to accelerate growth, just like any company would. And once we're back up to speed, we'll start to normalise things. So this is why there's been losses year on year. And this is why you've had investors uh, piling money in and and changing that debt to equity. It's because we're front-loaded investments. And, I mean, Kieran Maguire, who is a very respected commentator in football finances, he, he, he kind of shrugs his shoulders and says, right, the front-loading investment, he is, there's nothing more obvious to guys like him. But then in the Scottish media pack, mm. you get sensationalism and uh, doomsday scenarios, and, and they, can't, they either don't understand that or they're, they're deliberately uh, ignoring it to create a, a narrative. But like, that's exactly what's happened. Like your big brother Stephen McGowan in the, the Daily Mail. If, if he was my big brother, let me tell you, <laughs> I'd be having some pillow fight with him. <laughs> It'd have a brick in it. <laughs> I don't mean that, of course. No, I, I, look, they're addicted. We've said this for a while. The, the, the Scottish media, and of course, we know why, because it, it panders to Celtic fans. They're addicted to that narrative now. And it really is yeah. just that simple that they can't get off it. So everything is seized upon it. Um, and it's it's double think, you know, Rangers post good figures. Ah, well, it's because they're going into admin. Rangers post bad figures. Ah, well, it's because they're going into admin, etc. Rangers sign a player, we're going into admin. Rangers don't sign a player, we're going into admin. As you say, this is why it's important that we, as a support, are able to cut through the nonsense. Yep. So if you think about it, stadium yesterday, looking great, right? Um, Edmondson House is happening. The training, the training ground's been uh, more than spruced up. That does it at the service. All this costs money, right? So there's about five million investment for infrastructure in these accounts. Um, about sixteen point eight million is accountable to uh, investment in the football squad, right? So all this stuff is is great. That's why there's losses. Um, I'll try and run through this a wee bit quicker because I could be here all day. Right? There's a couple of key things. The, the accounts state there were offers from private equity and family office to provide debt facilities. Now, what that means is that external companies who specialise in debt, offering debt, have come to Rangers and said, listen, we'll do you a deal. A family office is an extremely wealthy individuals who look for fantastic or, or good uh, commercial opportunities. Now, that tells a story. That tells you that they know the fundamentals are correct at Rangers. So once again, the narrative that things are on a downward slide or we're, we're one step away from doomsday, a lot of crap because these companies wouldn't come and offer us debt if they thought it was a bad a bad, <laughs> big gamble, you know. But the biggest thing to take for that is that we didn't need to because um, John Bennett, uh, Julian Warhart and Alistair Johnson, they provided um, a loan at a lesser interest rate than we had from Dave King, right? So that's a saving straight away. And also over the next six, seven years, I can't remember which, but six or seven years, right? So we've basically just refinanced our debt 
to Dave King, which was at 8% for 6%. And uh, that's good, right? Because if you went to the family office at the private equity, the external debt, your double digit interest rates, you're paying an upfront fee. And by the way, if anything goes wrong, you've no got a, a, you know, it's no people with rangers at heart that are at the end of that debt. They're going to call it in. So it's, it's a really, really good good way of getting debt um, because we've got it from people who are have got rangers at heart. Now, people then say to me, well, why are they charging interest in if they've got rangers at heart? Well, that's quite simple and it's, it might sound counterintuitive, but it, it's rehab, it's debt discipline. We need to demonstrate to the market that see if you give us debt in the future, we can do it. Right, so it's not it's serviceable debt, and it's fine. Debt is not a dirty word. Every company has debt, long term and short term. And I think we need to get away from this tremendous fear that some people have, where well, we've got debt. Every company's got debt. See if you've no get debt, it means you've no investment because you don't just fund it for cash. So that's a good thing, and that's the first a big key point there about Dave King. Has he got any influence on his new? I think Dave King's new left the building completely without loan being paid off, and that's that's doing to John Bennett, Walhard, and Elsa Johnson. So that's a big, big thing. So that that was, you know, that that is significant then. Significant, yes, because I think we can all tell something's happened with Dave King, um, because the, the the connection just isn't as cozy as it was in the club eighteen seventy two and everything else. That kind of side of things is. You know, it's not an exact dovetail with, with, with what the club wants to happen. So I, I, we don't know, and we probably will never know if Dave King asked for his money back or if he left in a hurry or if COVID in South Africa just spooked him. We don't know, but um, there, there, there has been a change in the regard and we can see that clearly now. Um, and, and he's done his bit. So um, 26 million a shareholder loans converted to equity. Again, massive kudos to the investors that did that. The share issue from the fans that just took place in the summer, four and a half million, that isn't in this account, that'll take uh, next accounts. This div- converting debt to equity, this is this is a good thing because what it does is it strengthens the balance sheet. All good companies have a strong equity base. John Bennett's referred to this and it might mean nothing to the layman, but basically think it as your house. If you've got a load of equity in your house, you've got a strong financial position. Um, so the more equity in a, in a company, the better. Um, let me see. I'm going through these millions of points I've got here. Um, key thing about how we make our money that all Rangers fans should really understand. There's four key revenue pillars. There's ticket sales, right? So people come through the doors. We've got European football. And by European football, we mean group stage football in Europa League. We've got our commercial, which is a multitude of things, but hospitality, retail, merchandise, Rangers TV, all that kind of stuff. And then the fourth pillar is player trading. So, so I'm slowing down here to, to emphasise this because I described it in my report uh, over the weekend as we are currently a table with three legs. We've got four revenue pillars. We are only, to this point, used three. Ticket sales, European football and commercial. Right? We have not sold players for commercial reasons yet. And I think every Rangers fan that's listening to this, if you want to take one thing away for this podcast, we are going to start selling players. It might feel unusual because we've been spoiled for the entire Gerard era, if you think about it. And when we sell them, it's totally natural. And it's actually the biggest sign of normalisation of our football club since 2012. Right? Now, the reason we've no sold players is dead simple. 
our board, our investors, have backed the manager, they've laid it all out in the park because they knew we had to get back to the top of Scottish football. Now, I often say that it didn't matter if we did it before or after 10 in a row. I think I was kidding myself on there. We, we, if we hadn't got 55 last year, the kind of existential impact on our football club and our psyche, I think it would have been pretty profound, David. I think it would have been the cherry on top of the big shitey cake that we've been eating since 2012. <laughs> right? So what we actually did last year, we're winning on the park, was we washed away everything that went before because what happened on our side of Glasgow was utter unrefined joy. What happened on their side of Glasgow is they realised that it had all been for naught. All that, Gordon, everything else been for naught. And we could talk about that in another podcast, right? But that is why the board backed the manager and said, right, listen, you know, we're going to actually going to take decisions which fiscally probably aren't the best, but that's why. And it's one of the ones where you, you balance up a footballing versus a financial gamble and it was 100% worth it. And it came through. Now, if it hadn't come through, we'd have we'd probably have a, a bit of problems, but it never happened. So why, why even think about it? So that so that's a big thing. The fourth pillar is going to kick in. We are going to start selling players. And see, once we do start selling players, we're going to be financially viable. We'll be sustainable. Dare I say it, we're going to be very like Celtic in that, you know, they've, they, they, they're a massive loss the other year and they sold Kieran Tierney and it, and it showed up the finances almost to the penny. Things like that are a sign of a well-run football club, a, well, a well-run football inside, dare I say it, and we're going to start doing it. Now, I, I'll qualify it by saying, I don't think we're sitting here saying, right, we need to sell somebody for £20 million every year. I'm, I'm talking about a sensible sale or two under £10 million. So if you're sitting looking at our squad just now, David, and you say, right, say come the end of the summer or end of the season, and we might have a, a kind of mini-rebuild, and a natural turnover, and we want to make sure the books get looked after, then you sell a rebo for, and I'm being funny here, you sell a rebo for six million. I think six million for a rebo would be a steal, right? But you sell him for six, you, you might sell somebody else for four or five. I'm not talking about wholesale mega sales like Dembele or Kieran Tierney for Celtic. I think you just need to be sensible about it. And the, the, the kind of balance is that you get something out of them football-wise, and then you get a wee bit of return and you sell them on. It's like a car. You get a, a good bit of mileage out of it, but you don't rip the arse out of it, and then you sell it, and you get enough to go into your next car. So, uh, see, Daisy, your wee dog agrees. So, yeah, she does. Yeah, big fan. Uh, thanks. So so this is the big thing. Player trading will happen. Um, so let, let's go back to the positives, uh, because there are quite a few, and the first one I'd like to go to is the commercial side of stuff, because... Um, James Bisgrove is a name that gets gets uh, mentioned, and I think we can see by our football strip that he's he's working really hard because we've got more sponsors than we've ever ever had on that strip. But we've just had a pandemic, um, very very testing time for all businesses. You know they're looking at the finances, sponsorship stuff like that is probably not going to be majorly on their um, their agenda. Survival is on a lot of their agenda, never mind anything else. But James Bisgrove and his team, their remit are sponsorship, advertising, commercial and retail. And on the books, these combined jumped from 7 million to 9.3 million, right? That's during a pandemic. So that's 33% growth during a pandemic. So regardless of what anybody says, you can't really paint that any other way than it's a major success and it bodes really well for the future of the commercial department because I know they've got big aspirations and they're actually 
they're expanding as we speak. So so that is major, and and that's one of those four pillars I was talking about. So the fact that it's still got a bit of headroom of growth um, means that we, we can expect the rev overall revenue to go up. That will contribute to it. So there's two things. We're going to have more commercial in the future, and we're going to have player trading, right? So that sees our revenue go up again. But in there is the thing that everybody's been asking me about, which is Castor. Now, Castor is it's one that's probably been a victim of its own success because we've seen the, the shirt sales, we've seen things fly out the door, we've, we're inundated with ranges, and no matter what we, we say about Castor, you can't say that they don't have a lot of product and they don't um, market it well. They, they do. And I, and I believe that you, David, spend about 40 grand a year on Castor gear, but that's another story. So the Castor gear, the Castor deal, which I which I never wear, so I'll be the only guy in twenty <laughs> year who has Castor because I just hang it up in my collection. So I'll be the only guy in twenty year who has Castor stuff that's still not falling to bits. So well done me. So I'm going. I'm going to spend five minutes on Castor because this is the one that everybody wants to know about. And 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 again, I don't know the details. I'm no privy to Rangers information because it's commercially sensitive. But what I have done is I went and asked a couple of folk who who will know far, far better than me. Now, where we were when we started with Castor, we're, we're stuck in a deal with Hummel. We've still got Ashley hanging over us at that time. He had the right to match any deal that was offered to us, right? So we're in a really, really sticky wicket. And we don't really have the leverage in the market to say, we are Rangers, we sell 500,000 strips a year. We don't really have that because it's not really been the case since, you know, pre-administration, uh, right? So you're talking about the umbral years, maybe at best. So you can't just go to the market and say, hey, by the way, Adidas or Nike, going to give us a big check that matches Celtic because we're just the same. Them. You can't do that. You've got to demonstrate. You've got to have a track record. So we were back at the bottom rung of merchandise, uh, you know, that, that kind of hierarchy, if you like. Loads of promise, but we couldn't demonstrate it. So the Castor deal looks to me with kind of, uh, you know, quite educated eyes, I think was a marriage of convenience because Castor, small startup company, very niche at the time, they saw Rangers as an, an opportunity to utterly catalyze their, their, their company and generate, well, we bit a seed investment into us, generate sales which will allow Castor to grow you know, quite exponentially. And you can see that now they've got a big HQ and everything else that's happening in Manchester. They've got a lot of investment. That's probably reading between the lines based on the fact that Rangers has supercharged that company. So what we've been able to do in the back of that is the quid quo pro is that we've been allowed to sell jerseys, get a payment from them once a year, which is probably, in my estimation, it'll be around about the three million mark. And then we'll have royalties for everything sold. Now, what we do know is in the public domain is that in Stevie Clifford's uh, four Lads of the Dream blog way, way back when the Castor deal kind of started. One of the, the Behan brothers that, that owns the company said, look, this will be, and it was a throwaway figure, 25 million over five years. So you're talking five million per year. And in the books this year, we had about 4.2 for memory. So it was mm -hmm. a wee bit on the low side. And I think folk was... 4.2. Yeah, and people right. were a wee bit like, okay, that seems low. I saw that, but right. Now, I, I, even I thought, I, I'd predicted between four to five and a half million which is, I know is a big, pretty broad band, but I, I'm like, that's quite on the low side, right? So when you think about it, 
you have to, you do have a pandemic, so all your stores are closed. So you've not been able to expand your, your your physical stores as much as you wanted to, and you've had no sales from them whatsoever. Now I know we live in an online world, but even so, on uh, physical presences get you generate um, revenue for you. So we never had that for the whole period of this these accounts for that four point two million staying in the account, right? Now, um, then folks say to me, right, but hold on, Celtic uh, record something like. 22 million for their for their retail they're completely different their 22 million is the top line revenue for the chain of shops so if you think back to pre-jjb rangers we used to have the rangers shop network they're still working that model right where they run the shops they have all the income that comes to every one of those shops but what they have to then take an account of is all the costs that go with it so so that's their top line our 4.2 million is our bottom line, that's your profit. So with Celtic, if we were to have the equivalent operation for Celtic, i.e. we had our own shops, we'd probably be generating, and again, I reckon about 16 million versus their 22, so we're a bit behind where they are, but they are a mature retail operation, okay? Mm -hmm. So a bit, a bit of way to go, but not insurmountable. Um, but again, I go back to the context, we're only one year into a proper deal because the Hummel deal, you know, the rest of it, we, we can't really count that because that went belly up. So we don't really, I don't know if we've ever even been paid in for them. So the cash store deal to my mind is actually ticking along nicely and it will get better. I think you'll see that number go up. I think you'll see it go up when the stores get back open, we expand that, that network and then we'll get better because then you're going to have Edmonds in the house, you'll have a retail outlet in there. I think we should have an expectation of five million a year from Castor, and and the context of that is we have no shops to worry about, we have no staff to worry about, we have no overheads to worry about. That's that's a, a simple and efficient way of generating your profit from merchandise. So I would take away a wee bit of hysteria about Castor. I, I've got to be really honest, um, and I hope that goes some way to answering a lot of questions that folk have got about it. It's doing its part. Where we'll see commercial growth is um, the hospitality will get better, right? Because we've not had that for a year. Uh, the soccer academies is actually a big, big thing, right? It, it, it probably makes, I don't know, half a million a year or something like that. There's a lot of, lot of scope for that. We're going to have Edmondson House very, very soon. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I can't remember, seven, eight million pound to build that facility. We're, I think people will... Well, I'm seeing people will be shocked. Nobody that supports Rangers will be shocked, but externally people will be shocked at how much we make for our museum. Right? I, yeah. I think we will easily make a million quid clear profit from Edmondson House each year. And and that's just playing at it. Right? Because I know, see if Rangers said the doors to Ibrox are open every day, come in, there'll be, mm. be a thousand folk a day there. <laughs> there would. Isn't there? There would yeah. be. So, so they're effectively doing here, Here's a museum. We're going to open it every day for you. This thing will be a gold mine for Rangers, and that's only one facet of Edmondson House. Um, we've went to 42 partners. So by partners, you know, um, James Bisgrove has been really, really working hard to get uh, commercial partners who pay a fee each year to be. So you had try and Kawan recently, Black Rooster, Perry Perry, for example, right? They all have paid a fee to Rangers. And they get an association, they get in the boards, and they get a, a, called a, a partner or something. See, you do that. See, you take it for whatever it was 12 to 41, 42 in a, a pandemic environment. That's utterly amazing, right? Now, even if, if James Bisgrove has brought them on 
at a lower premium just now because, you know, things are tight and said, right, well, listen, we'll give you a deal and you come on as a, a, a Rangers partner and it's it's going to cost you less than normal. The chances are they'll stick with Rangers now and then things ratchet up and you get more and you get more and you get more. So one the, of the commercial... Sorry, Andy, mm-hmm. one of the complaints I see about that quite a lot and gets put to me quite a lot is that these aren't blue chip organisations that Rangers are partnering with. What would you say in response to that? I'd say small apples are sweet apples because... Um, because you get a more, uh, I'm not going to use the word emotional, but you get a closer tie-in with people that are, well, for example, a more local company or a, or a company that's got a local presence, right? So you get a European company that's got a local presence. That's that's a tighter and more emotional connection um, between Rangers and that company because what we've just had there is we've had, again, a pandemic. Now, as part of the partnership, I dare say Rangers would be saying to them, right, we'll give you... Uh, tickets and hospitality, maybe not every week, but every month or whatever. But that'll be an intrinsic part of the deal, so that these companies can wind and dine clients. That's not been there for the whole of last season, and and still these companies have remained faithful to Rangers, and 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 now we're out that particular issue that they're going to get something back for it. So that in itself is proof positive of the the intangible relationship that whether it's client client relationship management, you know, Bisgrove may be absolutely superb at that, or Bisgrove and his team might be great at that. Whatever's happened there, it's worked, and we've come out the other end, because normally what would happen is, if you've not got that connection, a company will just say, hold on, you mean we're not getting any tickets or hospitality, and I've just paid you X thousand pound? I've just been it. You know, they've no, they've stuck ways. That says something. So, um, there's a lot of good stuff happening there in terms of the commercial. Rangers TV, we don't really have the figures on, we don't get sight on it. But I'll tell you right now, I would bet my house that the subscriptions are, I don't know, two, three, four times what they were um, pre, pre-pandemic and pre-MyGers. <laughs> so I'll, I'll very quickly tell you about MyGers. MyGers, we all know the issues we've got with the ticketing system and everything else. But see, from a financial point of view, a mega success. It's generating over a million quid a year. Easy. And in the, in the accounts, it specifically says all proceeds are directly supporting the first team operations. So that that, that tells you that A, either the, the, every penny has been sucked up by the first team, or it means that, you know, in future, if we reduce the wage bill, that one million quid that MyGears generates might be redirected to the ticket site, which we all know has got major, major problems. So yeah, yeah, no kidding. You, you, for, for, for MyGears, for all its problems, you can't turn around and say, let's abandon it and abandon a million quid a year. There's 10 million in the next decade. You can't just turn away and say, right, we don't like it. Let's not have majors. And people are buying it. So so the marketing of it must be right. There must be a demand. I think if they can get the actual uh, ticket side of it and the actual loyalty points sorted out and we become more attuned to it and, and familiar with it, I think it'll be fine. I've always said that. If even problems, we just need to persevere and it'll be fine. And let me see, Davey, I've got, I've got about 100 points here. One big positive that's coming up. Um, the board targets profitability at EBITDA level by June. So EBITDA is E-B-I-T-D-A. I'm not even going to try to explain what it means, but basically it gives an insight to the kind of day-to-day trading. So by June 2022, we expect on an EBITDA level, which is kind of like day-to-day, to be trading profitably. And this is where I go back to what I said at the start of the conversation about accounts. If we can come out of a pandemic and a year later be golden, then that is a concrete proof 
that the strategy works and the strategy is going well. So there's a load of things to be positive about. There are major concerns that we need to take into account, right? So going concern is a, is a part of the accounts, which is um, grabs the attention of people that maybe don't like us. And the harsh truth is that we need seven and a half million before the end of the season, right? So we need, we, we've done forward projections and, and the auditors have agreed we need seven and a half million quid injected into us before the end of the season. Wasn't it really a surprise? Now, how that will happen is probably somebody will either give us debt or they'll will take equity or they'll take debt and convert it later to equity as has been the case. But see, the season after, we only need 400k. And I say only, but 400k is pretty negligible by the numbers we've been dealing with in the last three, four years. So this is a massive indication of the direction of travel, right? I, I, I don't see it as anything but a positive because you're seven years into a 10-year recovery by 22, 23. That means that after the seventh year, you're kind of getting back to break even. And by the way, you've got the 55th title in the bag as well. That to me is fine and dandy, right? So loads, loads going on. Last thing I want to say, and I said this last year, Douglas Park and John Bennett. Now, I said this start, I'm a wee bit, uh, I'm a wee bit biased because Emotionally, I feel so much, I owe so much, and we owe so much to the board and investors, right? So it's very, very hard to be critical of them at all. But Douglas Park and John Bennett have provided incredible personal resource between them. They've committed to meet the shortfalls that are projected. So, so far, I think they've committed to, to cover over 23 million quid between them from 2021 20, to 22, 23. Right now, you, you can see a guy where they're loaded, right? So the man in the street might say John Bent, Douglas Park, very, very wealthy individuals, and obviously they are if they can do this. But you still need to have liquidity, right? You still need to be able to commit that. Their families, that's their family's inheritance. You know, we've got all sorts of considerations in the mix there. It's not something you just do in a whim. Um, so it's we, we owe them big time. Just as we owed Dave King beforehand for what he did, the same thing here. And I talked about the changing of the guard the change of the guard this year and there might be a change of the guard again in the future you know you might see guys like Stuart Gibson move forward yeah so 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 Douglas Park John Bennett massive massive uh, kudos for me I, I think him they, they too Dave King every other one of the investors because there's loads of them now are, uh, are true Rangers men they've really went above and beyond they've, they've helped deliver what we enjoyed last year and what we're enjoying just now as much as anybody else because without them it just doesn't happen um, and, and I think that going forward, once we start to break even, there's two big risks. Uh, and these are things that can could could really cause us problems. What if our benefactors, i.e. all those investors, what if they start to, to dry up or they have a change of heart or their financial circumstances change? That's a big problem to us if we're still relying on them. And then the second big thing is European football. What if we have a couple of cataclysmic seasons in Europe and we don't reach the group stages? So those are two things we need to be very, very mindful of. But by the way, we're not the only football club that have that problem. Right? Celtic have the same problem with regards to European football, but they don't have a safeguard of a sugar daddy. <laughs> right? So in that regard, we're probably in a better position than them. Um, and then you've got clubs in England who are just a, a bigger version of what we've had 
in the last three years, which is just total uh, losses covered by individuals. Um, uh, Fulham, Chelsea, all these clubs run exactly the same type of model that we've been running for the last three, four years, just on a far, far bigger scale with no end sight. You know, it's just a, an endless pit of money for them. We've actually had a design to get back to a break-even point. So those are the two big things that would worry me, that do worry me. But if we don't qualify for Europa League, then you have got a wee bit of a safety net in the Conference League now. So the, num the numbers won't be as big for Conference League, but you still have gates, you still have games, and I think you have won the extra game, right? So that, so that offsets that risk a wee bit. The flip side of it is if you get into Champions League, then it's, it's like a nitro boost, you know? It's another... I don't know what, 15, 20 million extra on top of it. So if we do win the league this year, then it changes the dynamic for a short term. You know, you can still budget on Europa League money and then get the Champions League money and then reinvest and do things that you maybe couldn't have done otherwise. So um, this year's big, football-wise and financially, because that automatic Champions League spot uh, for the winner this year, it's, it's just as important to keep out of the hands of Celtic as it, as it is for us. It's a it's a it's a, a six pointer, double whammy. You know, we win it, we get it, and they lose it. They win it, they get it, and we lose it. So a lot rides in this, and and that's why we, we need to really make sure this season goes our way. If it doesn't go our way, then it's not going to be fatal. This is the best thing about this set of accounts. This board realise that it's no boom and bust, and you know there there are mitigations in place. We have a very broad and diverse investor base now. So I spoke about Douglas Park and John Bennett. What happens if something happens to them? Because their guarantees are not strictly binding, right? If they if they if something happened to either of the two of them or um, you know, we couldn't enforce their estates, for example, to 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 uh, honor the commitment they made. But what we do have, we've got a lot of guys in there at the background which um not guarantee, but they could step up to the mark and you've got I've mentioned Stuart Gibson, you've got a guy called John Halstead from from a, a, a kind of major private equity company. He's got a wee stake in us now. You've got George Latham, George Taylor, who I believe are very, very good at bringing people to the table. You've got a lot of wealthy individuals there, which I would like to think would be able to find a solution. So um, the bit everybody waits for me to say is I'm comfortable. I'm not comfortable with a 23.5 million pound uh, loss, right? But... I think we're in a good position, and it, and it's all in the context. In isolation, you can't have a 23.5 million loss every year. Of course you can't. But when you look at the context, where we are, where we've been, and where, we, where we're projecting to be, I'm comfortable, totally comfortable with it. A lot of scar tissue still remains. Um, I think I, I say the bandages are off. But where we're heading today is sustainability with on-field success, that is the panacea. That's what every football club wants, sustainability, but still we'll be winning things in the park. We are very, very close to that, very close. And and what we've got as well, Dave, is that the fans have been putting in money. I, just, I mean, you know yourself, I know it. The, the bank account, just it's just Rangers, Rangers, Rangers. There's, there's all these <laughs> money's going out to Rangers because we want to. The guys on the board have been doing the same. And we've all been pulling in the same direction. That's why we we got where we wanted to be last year because we sold 707 less season tickets during the pandemic than we did the season before. We take that for granted because we just say, "Hi, Rangers fans, buy season tickets," and just, that's just what we do. We take that for granted. That is utterly incredible to buy in those numbers, 17 million quid's worth of numbers, 
knowing we're not going to get in that stadium at all. So we've done our bit, the board's done their bit, we've been pulling in the same direction, whether we really realise that or not. That is extremely rare at any football club. Any football Definitely. club. Definitely. And I think I think we, we we have to make sure that we don't take that for granted, Davey, because the longer that dynamic continues, the more indestructible we are in every sense. So um, I've kind of rabbited on as long as that. We're up to an hour and a half or something. It's an hour and a quarter, but what I would say is big party weekend at your your house, I take it, this weekend there. <laughs> See my wife? So oh. I finished, <laughs> I finished, I finished it. So, see I the only thing, though, well, see the only thing in your defence here is that of all the people I know, the one person's wife who would want to actually hear about the accounts is yours. <laughs> uh, she's exciting to me, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened on Friday, right? I had a really busy day on Friday at my work, and I got a thing through, I think, called my mum and says, You coming on the update today? Uh, that's the account suit. And, and my first reaction was, Fuck off! Oh no, I know the accounts, Because right? <laughs> I'm like, I can't, I'm not going to be looking at. This. So I finished work, and then, uh, and the next thing, I spent four hours on this, and uh, I quite enjoy it. I'm going, but and then, and then Saturday was basically trying to work out how to get it on Twitter and all this kind of stuff. But you know, misinformation is the word you use, Davy. And I don't do this just to to do Rangers a favour. I do this because this is what I believe to be the, the correct interpretation of our accounts. Because you can take numbers and you can paint them any way you want, and we've seen that in the press during the during the weekend. I think the, the Evening Times had a decent article, which kind of echoes what I'm saying. And then, as you say, you had Stephen McGowan, disgrace to the name, <laughs> who had his article in the Daily Mail, which was basically saying, "Have Rangers not learned from their mistakes?" And you know, Doomsday is just in the corner and total propaganda from you know. I read it and I thought that's just just laughable. So it can be twisted any way you want, but I'm trying to give a, a kind of balanced um, angle, acknowledging, however, I am a Rangers fan. I do like the board. I think this is a fair reflection of where we're at. And uh, it, all joking aside, and we do rip the, rip the piss at them regularly, folks, but it's important for guys like me who, you know, I would be the first to admit a lot of this is just, you know, I got to read the accounts and I'm like, Oof, this is this might as well be in Greek for all I'm taking in of it. Um, to get someone that we trust, like yourself, who we know has the best interest of Rangers at heart, but equally uh, isn't going to sugarcoat stuff. You know, the, the bad stuff, as you say, I mean, it is a big loss, but yeah, I'm a wee bit happier after hearing that. Right, folks, if you want to read Andy's article and you want to get more info on pretty much everything, Rangers, just go to our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash heart and hand where from just one ninety nine per month. You can get up to five shows every single day on all things Rangers. Our thanks to our executive producers in London, Mike Lee and Paul Miles. And Andy, genuinely, thank you. <laughs> I was going to say my pleasure, like I usually do, but I'm not so sure this week. No, you can have the month off. Now, we'll get you back on for the New Year game. How about that? Uh, that, that, that no more than I usually do anyway. <laughs> but it's a new year, eh? Ah, okay. okay. <laughs> it's into next year's 11th, not this uh, year's. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> right, folks, thank you for joining us. Remember, no flagship next week because there's no football next weekend. Unfortunately, we're into the, the international break. The good thing is it's the last international break. And then when we come back, a rather big game to look forward to as we go to Hamden to take on Hibs in the League Cup semi-final. So my thanks to everyone for listening and we'll be back in a fortnight. Till then, take care. Bye-bye.
Podcast Network. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.